think my general message would just be to like, give yourself space and time. Like don't skip the grief, you know, don't push through it too hard. It's actually like a really tender, beautiful opportunity to be in the world, to know yourself, to think about the person that you you lost. And I think we try to rush through it. I think we try to skip through the pain, but there's just so much there. There's so much there to lean into and to, and to learn about. And also that grief takes a long time. You know, it, it's not going anywhere. So you can try to skip through it too, but it's going to come back and like have its way with you at some point. What is up, friends and strangers? My guest today is Claire Bidwell-Smith, who is a therapist, a renowned grief expert, the author of three books, and has been featured on major publications, including the New York Times, Scientific American, the Washington Post, and many, many more. Not only is she a brilliant mind who is willing to share expertise and own personal experiences on life and death, but she's hilarious. She made this conversation so easy. She's made it really fun, and we really had a good talk that I'm looking forward to you hearing. And she also went down a rabbit hole with me and my own shit that I've gone through and offered some insight as well that's going to make me ponder for quite some time. So thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to you listening to me and Claire get into it. Thanks. All right, Claire, thank you so much for being on here. It's truly an honor to have someone of your level of expertise on my podcast. So I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I have a million topics and questions I really want to uh, explore. But um, just to start off the bat... As much and as comfort as you are to explain your story a little bit, um, from my understanding, I know you lost your parents at a rather young age, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's what led you to the path you're on right now. So I don't know which part of the story you'd like to start, but I would love to kind of hear exactly what you went through even before we get into, you know, how you become a grief expert and a therapist today. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, I, you know, I, becoming a grief expert and a therapist was not what I wanted to be growing up. So it was definitely my background and my personal experiences that led me to being in this position. Um, when I was 14, both of my parents got cancer at the same time. I'm an only child. So it was, you know, my whole little nuclear family was kind of suddenly very precarious. My mom died when I was 18, when I was a freshman in college. And then my father died seven years later when I was 25. And it was just a lot. Their deaths were very different. Their approaches to death were very different. My grief around each of them was very different, as were my relationships with them. But, you know, the end result was I was 25 years old and very much alone in the world and very much going through an experience that none of my peers were going through. You know, they were all kind of post-college living their lives in apartments and big cities and trying on relationships and careers. And and I was just like, what the fuck is going on with my life? You know, um, why am I here? What happens when we die? Where are my parents? You know, what's my purpose? Like, how do I sit with all this pain? Um, and so it just, it kind of just thrust me into a different place from the get-go, you know? Um, I kind of hit rock bottom before I began finding ways and tools to climb back up and eventually decided to go back and get my master's in clinical psychology and become a therapist and started working in hospice um, right out of the gate and started writing books along the way. I'd always been a writer. That's what I had dreamed of being, not a grief therapist. Um, and I'm still both. And so I've now written three books. I'm working on my fourth and I've been um, a therapist for over a decade specializing in grief. Beautiful. I actually have, I have one of your one of your books in front of me right now. So what, one, yeah, of the, so. one of the three, so I'm curious to see what the fourth is, but we'll, <laughs> we'll plug that in a little later. Uh, I just have a, a little bit more of a question in regards to what you went through, uh, if you don't mind. So 
before it happened to your parents, were you ever exposed to death before them? We had any experience or uh, idea of how to get through this prior to that? Because you said you asked, you started asking yourself a lot of questions during, naturally, of course, when something like that happens. So were you exposed to it earlier? Was there any ever conversation or perspective you had on death that kind of prepped you for that? Or do you feel like it just completely hit you blindly? I, you know, I've like talked to astrologers and psychics throughout my life. I love this stuff. And so many of them have told me that I was just primed to do this work. And I've just kind of always been surrounded by this stuff. I had um, an, a nanny that I loved who died in our home while I was taking a nap when I was very little. Um, and that was my first real experience of death and grief and thinking about these things. And then I had a traumatic pet loss in that it was my fault that the the dog died. And it was, you know, I was super close and, with the dog and that was in fourth grade. And so there were a couple things that were pretty intense. You know, I lost a grandfather, but that was one of the more regular deaths. And then there were these other two. Nonetheless, nothing can really prepare you for a big loss like the ones that I went through early on. And I was very grateful that I was a writer and had that outlet because it was just what I turned to. I had no idea how to process it all. And that was really helpful to me. I'm curious about what your first... Uh... You know, the first, I guess um, it's kind of an ambiguous number, but the first year when you first lost your mother, I mean, your book, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, I like to think maybe that's kind of what you went through, but was that the main emotion that you went through? I'm sure there's a million of them, but uh, what did you feel the most in the beginning of really grieving and how did you personally get through that, if you don't mind? Yeah, that was the hardest for sure that year. I, um, I felt very shocked by her death, even though she'd been sick for a long time. I just was really unprepared to lose my mom. She and I were incredibly close and we never talked about the fact that she would die or the idea that she would die. She had been largely unable to face it herself. And so we didn't have conversations about it. We didn't say goodbye. I wasn't there the night she died. Um, And so all of a sudden she was gone and I just didn't, I didn't know how to be in the world without her. The world felt really scary, Um, led to a lot of my anxiety and panic attacks and, um, I just couldn't believe that this terrible thing had happened and it made me feel like all kinds of terrible things could happen. And I didn't even cry for like a year because I was I, I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that I was going to live a life without my mom. And so when that finally began to seep in, then I cried for like five years. <laughs> um, but initially that first year was like this kind of like blind pain and shock and kind of disbelief and and real panic. You lost your dad, what, six, seven years after, give or take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven years. Is there, like you said, even if you've gone through something, regardless if it's death or something else, something as traumatic as this, how prepared can you be? But what, what were the differences between losing your mother and your father? And I don't mean to pry on your personal relationship with them. You but can ask me anything. It's all good. How did, then what was the difference? <laughs> <laughs> that's, such a, that's, a, that's a pretty small gap. And like, obviously there's relationship differences that one has with a sibling or sister, regardless of the hierarchy of it. But I'm curious to see if that prep you for it. Was that easier? Was it harder? Yeah, they were super different. And and to understand some of that, you have to understand that my parents, my mom was 40 when I was born and my dad was 57. Um, They met late in life. They were each each other's third marriage. So that we kind of had this little unusual life. If anything, you know, everyone kind of thought my dad would die early. You know, I would lose my father early because he was so much older when I was born. But instead, it was my mom that went first. So when she died, I already knew that I wasn't going to have him for long. And that contributed to an enormous amount of my anxiety. And it became this thing that was looming over me. Like I knew I was going to be parentless before 30. And and I just 
tried to sit with that all the time and didn't know how to. And it made me really obsessed with his death, with with being there, with spending time with him, with being prepared for it in all the ways that I hadn't been with my mother. So that was what was happening in my on my end. But on his end, he was also this like amazing person. He'd been in World War II. He'd been a POW. Um, he had just lived this very adventurous life. He'd kind of embraced change and uncertainty and was no different with his death. He was actually quite curious about it. He asked me to be curious with him. He wanted to die at home. He really wanted to face it. So we had this incredibly different experience that I had with my mom. And I was with him and I was holding his hand and we'd had all the conversations and we'd said goodbyes. And it was quite beautiful, um, even though I was desperately sad and didn't want him to die. Um, it was pretty much the most beautiful death we could have. he could have had. So it was very different in that regard. Uh, my mother's, I just felt so much angst and regret and just so much turmoil. And his was very peaceful and beautiful. And I, I I miss him dearly to this day, but I don't have that same kind of angst around his death that I do with my mother's. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like kind of polar opposites, if you ask me, especially I've heard you in on prior, on your own podcast, podcast, yeah, I've listened to a few episodes and mentioned what you just mentioned now in regards to, uh, I shouldn't, shouldn't speak to you about it or prep you. I don't know if that's the right word. And then mm-hmm. father seemed to do the opposite. So I was curious, how did your father handle the death of his wife, your mother, in regards to his own grief and how he prepped you? Because it seemed like the life he lived, he was around tra- tra- traumatic situations and let alone death. Yeah. So your dial- do you guys have a heavy dialogue or what kind of, what kind of relationship did you have during that process? He did. He was super zen, right? He'd just been through so much. He had jumped out. He jumped out of a burning airplane in like 1944, you know. And and you know, the half of his crew died. He landed in in what was then the, the um, Czechoslovakia, and you know, was in a POW camp for six months. He went through multiple losses, multiple traumas. And by the time he was 83, which is when he died, he was so like zen about everything. And he's like, "Well, kiddo, this is life," you know. And and, and on some level, that was awesome. Um, He was also just really generous with my experience of it. You know, he didn't try to tell me how to feel. He didn't try to take it away or change it. He just sat and held space while I cried or while I had these big existential questions or went through my pain. And then he would just, you know, lean back in his chair with a glass of vodka and be like, well, you know, this is, this is life. Um, Frank Sinatra song. Totally. (laughs) Which was really kind of amazing. And it, chilled me out, you know, um, in a lot of ways. And it, and I feel like I've adopted some of that at this point now. I've been through so much of mine and my girls, my daughters will get all worked up about stuff. And I'm like, well, guys. <laughs> you know? Honestly, what the hell are you going to do? I say, I, I, it's kind of my approach to life for better or for worse. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure out if there is even a right approach. And I've heard you say, you know, like, there's no right way to grieve. It's just kind of, I don't know, everyone, I guess everyone does it differently. Uh, I don't want to, I don't even know if this is a good transition, but I was curious to reflect off your first year and, and kind of the feelings you had during your group. So my dad died when I was 12 on 9-11 and there's mm. so much I don't remember. And I, I, I'm, I'm very clear. I'm not as, I know I'm not as knowledgeable as you are on the topic. I'm, I'm just experiential, I guess. I'm not as studied as you are, but I am pretty clear on the fact that that's clearly a defense mechanism. I'm assuming of being at such a young age of 12 and such a traumatic experience of besides 9-11 losing my dad, that there's so much I don't remember. Like, I, I feel like there was at some point, like I remember my childhood, but there's, there's parts that I feel like I just kind of like skipped and I don't, I don't remember how I felt. And it's so frustrating that I don't remember. Like my mom points out 
uh, reminds me of some things that she experienced, blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember how I felt. So my question to you is, I don't want to say is that normal because I'm assuming that's relatively common, um, more or less. From your experience, is there any way of bringing back those memories or trying to, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's deep down in my subconscious mind somewhere. I know that. Have you had any experience of unraveling forgotten memories due to a traumatic experience like that? Yeah, this is so interesting. I definitely think it's absolutely possible. It takes work. It takes lots of different things and experiences and, and ways of digging into it. But I will say the age of 12 is such a tricky age to go through a big loss and a trauma. I've, I work predominantly with people who've lost a parent. And for everyone I've worked with who lost a parent in childhood, adolescence, kind of any time before 16, really, we're not developmentally capable of processing the loss. So we process it in all these kind of fucked up ways, right? Like we just do our best at age 12 to understand this, but we can't really understand it. So we usually like put it into the wrong boxes, um, the best ones we can at the moment, but then not the boxes that, you know, would be best to put it in at say age 32, you know, which is, um, I assume you're 32 now. Which, which is where I'm at today. It's ironic you said that. So seeing things as a grown man, it's like, a, I feel like I'm going backwards. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So that's what happens. So I often, people will come and find me at exactly around this age. I always say it's between the ages of 28 and 32. People will come and find me and they want to process a loss that happened 20 years ago because there's something that finally clicks into place between the ages of 28 and 32, I think, where we are fully developmentally capable of understanding that loss. And we suddenly see it in a whole new way where we're like, oh my God, this is what it meant for me to lose my dad in 9-11 20 years ago. Like, holy shit, that's a really big deal in this way that you couldn't fully understand back then or even along the way somewhat. And now you're sitting with the enormity of it in a brand new way. And it's kind of an amazing time to process it and to look at it. How old was he when he died? He was 46, I believe, because it was 2001, 1955. So yeah, about 46. So not that much older than you now. I don't mean to ask like free therapy right now. So please cut no, me off. I'm, I'm super want. interested. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, he, that's, the, that's the thing that always messes with me the most. And a big part of this podcast is that my dad died on a very public platform, which people have heard me say before. So part of me is wanting to get other people to talk because I was, it's a weird thing to say. I was fortunate enough to have my dad die in the public light. So I get all this acknowledgement that I didn't ask for. My mom or sister's family didn't ask for. So I wanted to shed the light on other people. I don't even know where I was going with that, but back forward to what you were saying is I missed like the conversation, like as a grown man, the man to man, I had a, I remember my father, he was a great father, but there's just so much, like, I didn't know, you know, like how much is, is, your, is a grown father going to tell your 12 year old son, obviously he's probably going to wait till he's 18. Like that's like the best moments to have with the father is with the like, age of now, arguably. So I missed that, but I forget so much. And you know, I think like what you're saying, this I've I've really reflected on these over the years and I feel like I had to grow up faster. But now as I'm even getting older, you know, there's more things, I'm, there's more questions that I have. And I'm definitely vibing with what you're telling me is that this is a interesting age, even though I'm at the pinnacle of your uh, age range that you discussed. At, at this point, like, I don't even know what to make of it. Like my grief's evolved. So I feel like I'm as healed as you'll ever get. I don't think you'll get fully healed, but you know, you just change. You'll never get fully healed. You'll always live with this. But I think this is a really incredible time and opportunity for you to dig into it all. I imagine that your dad was probably around your age when he had you, right? Yeah, because he's 46. He's probably 30, he's 33, 34. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're, 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 you're suddenly in this place where you can kind of imagine yourself in your dad's shoes or be like, wow, this is my dad had like, you know, he was this young when I was born or, you know, he was this young when he did things that you know about jobs or moves or whatever it is. Um, and so it's a really cool new way to understand him and to think about him and to kind of commune with him. Like, I think that that is one of the things I think about a lot. Like we, we develop an internal relationship with the people we lose and, um, it, the relationship doesn't end because he's not here physically anymore. Um, you still have this relationship with him. You're thinking about him all the time. You know, you're you're understanding him in new ways. You're wondering what he would think of you. You're um, yearning to talk with him. Like that relationship is still very much alive. So what are ways you can commune with him? I would do some digging into what he was up to at this age that you are right now, because you can like feel it more than ever, you know? Yeah, it's funny. We put their, like, my dad on like a pedestal, but I want to like, he's a human. I fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, when did my dad fuck up? Like, yeah. what shit did he do? You know, like that, that. I'm like, I always like to see the other side of the coin, devil's advocate type stuff. Like, what were his flaws almost? Like, I had my dad on this pedestal, which he was, and I, even the people that I know back him up. But is it weird that I want to know, like, the, not the dark stuff? Because I'm not saying. No, but just the real, all the real sides of him. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I feel like that's the stuff that would have came out. Yeah. So when you're saying, uh, obviously they don't, they don't stay away from us. I've heard you say on one of your platforms, I don't know if I read it or I heard it, um, that you personally felt disconnected from the people that you've lost, AKA your parents at some point, I don't know when it was, correct me if I'm wrong. I might be blabbering. Uh, but then you found ways of, or you offer tools to your clients and yourself even of staying connected. And is that, is that what you mean by yeah. whether it's interior dialogue or writing or so, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago in the grief clinical world, the emphasis used to be on um, helping people let go. So you go through a loss and it's like, let's move on. Let's get you a stepdad, you know, or whatever. Like, let's let's let go. Um, and now we've realized that what actually is most helpful in healing is to find ways to stay connected and to stay in, in communion, in relationship with them. Um, and so a lot of the work I'll do with people who are, far out from a loss like you is kind of help you find ways to reconnect. Um, or if it's someone who's new into a loss, um, a lot of like very encouraging, let's find ways from the get-go to keep you connected to that person. The relationship obviously is changing. It's not the one you want, but let's find ways to stay connected. For me, I, I definitely felt by the time I was in my early thirties, felt very disconnected from both of my parents. You know, I felt like I, it was so painful to imagine a relationship with them that wasn't in person that I just had had to try to push it all away. So I spent a period of years finding ways to reconnect. Um, I wrote a whole book about it. It's my second book. It's called After This. And I just dug into all these crazy things. I saw shamans and psychic mediums and I saw, you know, priests and rabbis. And I just got into like everything. What, what are all the different kind of routes we can find to connect with people that are gone and what happens when we die? And I did not find the exact answer, um, but I found some really helpful frameworks and some feelings of connection that I feel and like, I feel closer to my mom now than I did 10 years ago. She's been gone for over 20, but you know, that's really interesting to be able to say, right? I believe, I mean, that's amazing. And I, I'm curious to say, you said you saw mediums and whatnot. Have you had an experience with, um, what was his name? The popular medium, John Edwards? Yeah, he was the first one I saw. I've seen a bunch. I've seen like two dozen. Um out of like research, you know, um, but it's fun and fascinating. And some of them suck and some of them are like mind blowing. Right. Um, I still can't explain any of it. <laughs> uh, what is your, what is, does that change your perspective? That's sort of shaped you some way. Cause I've seen a couple, you know, we saw George Anderson was another like commercially popular medium. I don't remember that because he did it pretty young. But what does that, what does that do to your, 
psyche in regards to believing what is next. Like obviously some of them you have to, you know, I don't know, spraying bullshit, but so I put my antenna up and take it with a grain of salt. But when they give me a message, that's like, okay, how the hell did you know that? It's hard for me to kind of push it away. So what does that do to someone like you that's gone so deep in the aspect of death? Like, where are you with that? And how does that shape you? I've gotten to the place where I, um, I went from being like pretty atheist slash agnostic, like leaning towards, there's nothing. I don't believe in anything. Definitely coming around to like full agnosticism where I just don't know. And I'm curious, I can't explain any of it. The, some of the experiences I've had with mystics and psychics and mediums were just so profound. And so they just made me feel like there's, I just like, I remember when I walked out of the psychic's office and I felt like I was in the fucking matrix. I was like, nothing is what I thought it was. I remember I went and sat in a Starbucks and I was looking around at all the people just drinking their coffee. And I was like, holy shit, it's all an illusion. Like we don't know anything. Cause, cause the experience with this woman had been so real that it just, I mean, like she, she brought my parents and a half brother. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way this isn't real. So I've had those experiences and I don't know how to where to put them, right? Because I can't scientifically explain them. So for me, I feel like for the first time in my life, I've developed this thing called faith. And I don't even know what that means because it's not like, it's not like in a Christian level or like anything like that. I just, it's just like this weird faith in that there's something bigger than this. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. How do you feel about dying at this point? I'm curious to you, are you you like, are you just straight up cool with it? (laughs) Like, where are you with that? No. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to die. I'm scared of it. <laughs> it is terrifying. I don't know if I'm, fi- I'm scared of it. There's so many levels of death. It's like, okay, you're scared of how you're going to die and where you're going to go. What freaks me out is, you know, you ever heard of Jim Jeffries? I think he's an Australian comedian. Mm-mm. He has a great like bit about dying that always like stuck with me. And it kind of like really made me think on so many levels. There's so many times I look up and like, uh, I don't know what's going on. But he always says like, if you die and then you're wherever you are in heaven for eternity, he's like, for eternity, he's like, eventually you're going to get bored. And then what the hell do you do? It's like, and I thought about that. Like, that's terrifying. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do all this? I can barely, it's 1030 on a Tuesday. I'm like, what am I doing next? Do I have an appointment? I don't even know for an eternity if that's really what's going to happen. But then mm-hmm. you think, okay, if it's just nothing, then you're just nothing forever. But then I guess if you're nothing, you don't even, it doesn't, Right. I, I can just get paralyzed in a chair for like a day trying to think about these things. You know? At one point you just cut it off. And it's like, that's why I think the conversation of death is so important, but you also kind of got to balance the spectrum, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of it. I'm, I'm scared of what it will feel like. I'm scared of what is on the other side. If there's anything, I'm mostly terrified to leave my kids. I love my kids so much. Um, I have three kids and I just like can't bear the thought of them losing a parent and me not being here for all those moments that um, my parents also missed. And so that is my biggest fear for sure. And that's very tied to my own losses. But yeah, no, I don't want to do it. Maybe Elon Musk will come up with something. <laughs> What's the conversation you have? Your, do, you have a, do you speak about death with your kids now? I, I don't know how old they are, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're 12, 9, and 3. And yeah, for sure. I mean, because they know what I do. They know like my work and my story and they hear their constant roll in their eyes. Oh, mom, sorry. (laughs) Every time I'm like, look, guys, I'm on TV. They're like, yeah, I'm talking about grief and death. Cool, mom. (laughs) Um, They they know all about it. But (laughs) I feel like you have a sense of humor. You have a sense of humor. You have to, right? Like, (laughs) um, I think it's important. 
so yeah, we definitely talk about it. And I think we have really cool open conversations about it. They've, they've, um, one of my daughters has lost a couple of classmates in the last few years. We've had a lot of conversations. I went through a phase where I was thinking about writing a children's book about death. So I ordered all these children's books about deaths and they were like, cool children's books. And then we read all these death books, <laughs> like had all these funny conversations. You say that, I mean, they go off screen, but have you ever, have you ever heard of it? Oh yeah, screen? I have that one. Yeah. yeah, I just, I had, I spoke to her uh, one of my last episodes. Oh, cool. I thought that was so fascinating because I, I, I don't know if it goes back to me being a young kid and I'm, I just love children's books because I think it's it's messages that I wish adults would take seriously that kids mm-hmm. are getting. And it's such yeah. a difficult topic for children, let alone grown grown adults, I feel like struggle with this conversation. So it's such a cool way of explaining it. So if you, you write a book about a children's book, I feel like you'd be amazed. But your sense of humor and your personality, I can tell in the next 30 minutes, I, I have it on my desk as well. Because I, like, <laughs> like, I feel like it's such an important conversation. And what's your take on, like, what is there an age when you start bringing it up with kids? How would you personally approach that? I know you've already kind of spoke on with your own kids knowing, but do you have like a rule of thumb with approaching kids that haven't experienced death yet? We always talk about it. I think it's really important to just talk about it. Like, you know, I think people are really afraid to talk to kids about death, um, but they have such cool ideas. I always just turn it around. I'm like, what do you think happens? You know, they, you know, I think people are afraid to not have the answers that kids will ask. Like, where is grandpa, you know? And like, is he okay? Did it hurt at the end? And, you know, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know, you know, like, what do you think? I don't know. Um, and usually they come up with these really creative, fantastical ideas that you wouldn't even think of as a boring adult. Right. So, um, it's fun to engage in those conversations. And I think it's helpful because when we all inevitably face death and grief at many different points in our lifetimes, to feel like you have the freedom to talk about it, to be creative in your thinking, to open up to different ideas. If we can start that at a young age, I think it's really helpful. When we shield people from death and dying and grief, then it blindsides them and and they don't even know where to turn with it. So I think that that's more harmful. I agree. And that's kind of uh, something I've attempted to accomplish with this podcast. I want the conversation to be, and it's very easy with you, by the way, talking about it and just being a little relaxed about the conversation coming mm-hmm. from people that have experienced it. And I really want to get to people, even my friends that haven't been fortunate enough. It's weird. I say fortunate enough to not have experienced death, but all at the same time, I feel fortunate that I've experienced death in so many ways. And I yeah. just, I've always learned that I don't want people to wait for a traumatic experience or something to shift their world to, to not take things for granted and learn X, Y, Z. Totally. So I, I really just want this message and this topic and people and the work that you are doing to get through to people that haven't experienced it. Cause I feel like those people are most common to just push it off. And it's like, it's not part of my, I don't want to listen to this conversation. So I always wondered how to get through to people that haven't experienced it to just, you know, acknowledge it a little bit and, and not push it away. Cause I'm so scared of people pushing anything away, regardless of any emotions in general, just burying it. You said earlier how people say, Oh, if you lost a parent, get a stepdad right away, as opposed to feeling it. It's like, like, why is it just our society that feels like it's better to push things away as opposed to facing it, especially death? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, like you and I are admitting to being scared of death and dying, I think. And yet we we have probably have much more of an understanding or have thought a lot more about it or sat with it and we're still scared of it. So then the average person who hasn't really sat with it at all is probably super scared of it to the point where they can't even let themselves think about it. They push it away right away. And our culture just isn't great at embracing it, at talking about it, at providing space. I've been really heartened the last year of the pandemic because it's been this wake-up call that we do need to talk about it more. We do need to be thinking about it and prepping for it. And just, I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about all the, the frontline like nurses and healthcare workers. You know, they don't even teach death and dying in med school. 
um, let alone to doctors, but also to like, you know, nurses and other healthcare workers, they don't even have a fucking course on death and dying in their training. And so here's all these people like sitting there, letting their patients say goodbye on FaceTime phones. And they weren't prepped at all in any way to even like handle it for themselves, let alone handle it for other people. And that made me really sad. It's just such a disservice to our culture. Um, So I'm hopeful that there is some change that's come out of this giant worldwide tragedy. And and people have been more excited to talk to me than ever about death and dying. So I'm like, all right, all right. (laughs) Like people are interested and maybe we'll make some changes here. Did you get that perspective from working in hospice or just from your own research, realizing, you know, that uh, people that are taking care of us aren't even trained in that aspect and at least in the aspect of dealing with it. So what was your experience with hospice? Hospice was great. I mean, hospice really, but hospice only attracts like the weirdos who are like super open to death and, and, you know, want to be in that for some, in some way. I had such a good experience with hospice when my father had it that when I, and again, you know, I was in grad school to become a therapist and there was a class, not on death and dying, but on aging. And there was like a little bit of death in the aging class. (laughs) And, and so in that class, everybody, even the therapists that in training around me were like, Oh, I don't want to work in that field. I wouldn't work in death and dying. And I was like, Oh my God, well, shit, if nobody's going to do it, I better do it because I'm comfortable with it. And I'll talk about it. And so when I, chose to work in hospice, kind of everybody else was like that too. They'd had some experience with it. They were comfortable with it. They had a big heart around sitting with other people who were going through it, but it's a very unusual uh, slice of society, you know, and still none of us were trained in any particular capacity on, on how to deal with death and dying. It's fascinating to me. It really blows my mind. It's so fascinating, but I feel like it runs parallel with, it clearly runs parallel with our society. So I feel like there's so many other cultures that I've read up on that are handle it so much and they're way more intimate with the process. Totally. That reflects our society in general of handling this and kind of like not putting it on the on a pedestal of maybe we should kind of cope with this. What is more common than we all share of dying? Right. There isn't anything. We're all born, we all die. Yet we still like push it on the side. That's why I think this conversation is so important to everyone, whether you've gone through it or not. It's just like I'm trying to just get it to people that in the nicest way possible. Me personally, I'm I'm a little sicko and like dark comedy. So I've got I've evolved in gone through, I make like 9-11 jokes. Like some people yeah. rough around the edges. Sorry, <laughs> I like making jokes about it, but I had a good bad. I'm not doing it spitefully. Like how else are we supposed to get through it? To me, it's humor. No, I agree. And I, I think that we just like, the more palatable we can make it for people, then that's great. I, I have a friend who's a death doula and she always says, talking about sex isn't going to get you pregnant. Talking about death isn't going to make you dead. You know? That is so good. Oh my God. <laughs> isn't that great? That's literally perfect. I know. <laughs> So I think, you know, I think people are afraid to talk about it. I feel like they they get, uh, they think they're going to bring it on, you know, if we talk about it. I don't know. Maybe if you think about something enough, I believe you bring things on, but I mean, relax a little bit. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Like yeah. Hit by, I mean, if someone gets hit by a bus after my podcast, then maybe I'll put it short, but God forbid. <laughs> um, so can you talk about your fourth book or is it kind of on the low, low? Yeah, I'm just starting on it. It's called Conscious Grieving. It's pretty much what it sounds like, you know, but it's, you know, for me, it's about, it is about this conversation we're having where I feel like a lot of people treat grief as an affliction, like this thing we got to get over and this horrible thing and let's not talk about it. Let's hush it up and get through it. And I just think there's so much to lean into. There's so much to learn from grief and loss. There's so many ways that, you know, like you said, like, you know, after you go through a big loss like that, you just see the world in a different way. It's not that you're grateful that you, lost your dad, but you are grateful for the experience of what it taught you. You know, I I think there's 
some cheesier ideas out there like the gifts of grief, but it's true. You know, there's so much we learn. I I can't imagine who I would be had I not gone through all this. Um, I feel like I would be really boring and materialistic and, um, you know, just not who I am now today. And, and, and so the whole point of the book is how do we lean into it? How do we embrace grief, even when it's really painful? Um, how do we, you know, let it change us in good ways and grow from it? I love that. That's, that's such an important lesson because I've personally known so many people that, you know, could get like, I feel like we went that way after some time, but some people can go that way and, and never get out of that hole. And I wonder. Yeah. People get stuck. People get really stuck in grief. I guess, I mean, there's so many variables I would think that are just uh, nature versus nurture and what they've gone through and blah, blah, blah. But it's just so interesting to me how I have so many amazing people like you on this podcast that have gotten, that chose the, the, the path of strength. I don't even, I couldn't think of a proper fun adjective for that, but chosen the path of, of seeing the light and getting out of it. And it really hurts me when I see people that never recover from it. And I've had experience that with lost a husband and, and they went straight downhill, never recovered. And then I look at my mother who is an absolute bull. And I would not have, I, I have so many people in my life as blessed friends, family, sisters that are just got me through. I can't even, I feel like I can't even take credit for it. But the way my mother handled it was just, she took the bull by the horns. I don't know what, what made her do that. And some others not do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is interesting. I think it's such a mix of nature versus nurture. You know, it's the environment, it's the support you have around you. It's your personality. It's your relationship with the person you lost. It's like a million things. And it's, it's never too late to kind of get unstuck. You know, you could be 30 years into it and still get unstuck somehow. That's a stigma for, regardless if it's lost or, or whatever it is, when people hit a certain age, yes, it gets harder, of course. Obviously, like zero to seven, you're more malleable. And after that, things get harder to kind of like change the way you are, but you can do it. And people like, there's, there's negative people that I speak to are like, oh, I got my heart broken. I'm, I'm never going to love again. I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you, that's, a, that's, a, that's a paradigm in your own head. You can you can't get out of it. It's, the deeper you get, it might get harder, but you can. You can. It breaks my heart when I see people that get deep in their life that aren't healed out later in their life. I just, like, people like you are doing God's work of just like still showing that you can get out of it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's about moving through fear, right? And it's about just people are so afraid to open up, to love again, to open up their hearts, to get hurt, to be vulnerable. And it is, it's scary as hell, you know, it's always scary, um, but we can do it. Yeah. And what else we can, at the end of the day, as scary as it is, like, what are we going to do? Right. I mean, yeah, I can't get out. It's like, so at some point acceptance, I mean, what else can you do besides accept it? Like it is like your dad is saying, Oh, it's life, baby. It's like, it is what it is. And I, I, some, I think there's a balance of that perspective. Like I've always said that I have kind of very similar to the perspective of your father. I've had the same experiences, granted, but it's also a fine line between kind of pushing it away slash having that perspective. So I think there is a balance saying it is what it is without but acceptance and it is what it is. I think is a very important blend of saying it is what it is. And you're kind of pushing it away at the same time. So I think you want to do that. How, how was the 20 year anniversary for you? That was such a big one. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting? I was talking to be like, there's 19 years you feel one within all of a sudden 20, like that round number yeah, right? makes it something. It's like, I, I don't know what that is. It was, it was good. We, my, I was there and uh, my, my family, I flew in. We don't go to the, the memorial every year, but this is like 20. I w- wasn't sure if I was going to fly in, but my, my mom, my sisters are going, so I couldn't miss it, but it was, it was good. They do a really good job. Like the memorial, I'm not sure if you've been there. Have you been there? Mm-mm. I haven't been there. I was in New York the day it happened, but so I, just for me, I had this, like, I wasn't expecting to feel so hit by the 20 year mark. And I really was affected by it, you know, just really contemplative, 
just, you know, feeling some grief and just thinking about it all a lot, feeling very contemplative. That was what I felt. This year for me, I've, I've always been pretty contemplative, but this year definitely more, I, you know, it got pretty, it was, it was pretty emotional, like it, as you would expect. And my nephew, my, my oldest sister's kids read the names and that was a crazy moment. So I, he ended up being like, he, was, he made the New York Post, which was cool. It was a really cool little, like small little uh, excerpt on it. And that was a really powerful moment. Me and my, my other oldest sister was in the back with him waiting for him to speak. He said some really nice words off the cuff, like freestyled it, which is amazing. 10 years old. And he got off stage and I, I saw from like maybe 30 yards out, my sister, him embrace. And they, he started breaking down at 10 years old, which is crazy because like, I was 12. He was 10. He understood the capacity of it. And he, for whatever reason, the entire time leading up to it, he was so cool, calm and collected. His father, my brother-in-law was a brother to me. And he was saying, I felt like who knew my father for forever. He's like, he's like, I felt like Dave was that Dave. My dad was there. Mm. And Got him through that. As weird as that sound, because he was so calm. Oh my God, I have chills. And then, and it's, me too. Uh, me too. And then as soon as he got off stage, him and my sister just embraced My sister started crying. I want my mom, my brother-in-law. It was like so emotional to see that. She was like, people started coming to her. And it was just such a powerful moment. And I spoke to my sister Jacqueline afterwards. And it's like, Jake said, I'm sorry, Ma, I couldn't hold it anymore. He just let it go. And then it was embarrassed that he was crying. And apparently like two police officers that were behind, like gave him a round of applause like it was a movie and there was so many it was and, and the, the contemplative part and the bizarre part was it was a new generation it felt like in, in the 20 maybe it was last year to notice it but they had grandchildren speaking and it was weird to me that like they're gonna they weren't even alive and they're gonna be reading about this and learning about this in their history class and passing on my, his their grandfather and just the idea of how long we've come and that life just life just continues on it doesn't stop. That's the amazing part though, too, you know, like, like think about how present your dad is and all of those things and all these people in these moments. I talked to this rabbi once for the, that afterlife book I was working on. And he was really kind of emphasizing that there's not a big emphasis on the, on the afterlife in Judaism. And, and that when we think about the afterlife, it's about what's happening now and and how how people are present now, how their morals and values are are showing up in in other generations, how um, their lives are still kind of playing out um, here now. Like this is the afterlife, you know. And so when I hear that story, like that is your dad's afterlife. Like this is your daddy's here, you know. Um, and how amazing that is. Like it it kind of blows my mind. He he definitely has a heavy presence. Like he's just that type of person, and. Then, I feel like I'm giving a eulogy right now, but he has, he, he just had that, he has a heavy presence, like that, his personality from everyone I knew. And when I've had experiences with mediums, even people, I'm like mom, my sister, every time. And I just, I try to call bullshit. I try to like, I don't know if that's the Italian Guinea little perspective of like, like what are you, what's your, what are you getting at? And every time he's always come through very hard. Like there's been multiple times with some mediums that we got to, they, like my mom, my son, my sister, they started immediately crying, even in group sessions which you know, I'm sure you're familiar with. He's come through first and the mediums cried from an overwhelming amount of emotion, which led to the, you know, the, the dissectiveness of figuring out it was my father. And same thing, I had some people on here that had some connection to the other side and it was the same thing. And I've heard, you know, they felt his presence. So it's, like, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's comforting and it's frustrating. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if he's right there, then it's like, if that's if that is true, I'm kind of similar to you. I'm not. I don't think anything's absolute, but I'm also not going to dismiss anything because we won't know till we know. I have my beliefs, I have my faiths. That's up to me. But what I don't know what the hell's coming. But it is kind of like frustrating that if he's right there, like right in arm's length, it feels like it's like what the fuck, you know? It's, 
little frustrating, but like, I'm not, I don't feel anger. I don't know if I've ever felt anger, but that could be part of the portion that I mentioned. I don't remember. So I got to do some regression work or something. I mean, I'll talk to you a little more after this and see if, uh, yeah, for sure. Do you, do you have kids? No, I have no kids. Thank God. I love kids. I have five nephews, love them to death, but like, I'm good right now. <laughs> and, that's, and you said my dad was my age. My season, yeah. I was like, shit. Like, I, I, would, I would be able to hang. Like, I'm good. If it happened, I'm good. I have, a, I have a beautiful girlfriend right now. I'm, I'd be good. I'd be happy. I'd be a fucking great father. I know that. I'd make it work. But like at the same time, like, I'm okay right now. I will tell you that having kids brought my parents back in ways I never could have expected. And it also brought memories back for me. I constantly have them now. I get flooded with them and it, they're like triggered by my children's ages. You know, like even just last night, my daughter was going through something with some friend group at our school or talking about sex or something. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. And then I had this, so this such an intense flash of a conversation with my mother. I hadn't thought about in years. Like, I don't even know if I knew I had that memory, you know? And it's been like that for the last over a decade since I've, I've been a mom. But I remember when my first daughter was born, just sitting and holding her in like a rocking chair and just fucking weeping. I was like, oh, I get why I miss my parents. Like, and it was this thing that wasn't tangible. It wasn't something I could name or put words on or put a memory on, but it was like this, just sitting there and holding her and looking at her. I was like, oh, this is what that is. And so in a way that even brought my parents back. It's been really fascinating to me with all of that. She asked my sisters that they have two and three kids. I wonder if they had something like that, which I I would imagine they would have. I mean, I I understand it without having kids in a sense, but I'll never understand it until I have kids. Obviously that's a whole nother ball game. But I get that frustration. I understand it. It's where are they? I'm I'm a terrible medium. I have zero mediumship skills, (laughs) like zero. (laughs) That's about as close as I get. So partially I always try to connect with them on that level, but I think I force it too much, but I don't know the conversation. Um, listen, I want to be respectful of your time because I know we're, uh, we're pushing that hour mark. Um, but one thing, if I wanted to, if you could leave it off, it'll leave off with them on one thing. This is very general because obviously I think the advice that I'm, I'm going to ask for, not for me, for whoever's listening, depends on their circumstance. Is there a general message that you would give to people that are grieving? And obviously, like, you know, it differentiates with who they lost, their time, who they are. Yeah. I think my general message would just be to like, give yourself space and time. Like don't skip the grief, you know, don't push through it too hard. It's actually like a really tender, beautiful opportunity to be in the world, to know yourself, to think about the person that you, you lost. And I think we try to rush through it. I think we try to skip through the pain, but there's just so much there. There's so much there to lean into and to, and to learn about. And also that grief takes a long time, you know, it's not going anywhere. So you can try to skip through it too, but it's going to come back and like have its way with you at some point. So give yourself just like a wide berth to understand it and to be in it and just self-compassion. I don't know why we beat ourselves up all the time. We beat ourselves up for like not grieving the right way, being mad, being sad, being numb. Like there's just, just let yourself be how you want to be and how you need to be. And, you know, don't feel like you need to beat yourself up about however it is you feel. I love that. I feel like uh, myself and plenty of others uh, feel all these sorts of emotions and feel like we're doing it wrong, but I don't know if there's a, w- a wrong way to do it. Yeah, there's not. No, and if anyone know more, I, I believe that is you. So uh, Claire, you. I really, I really want to thank you for being there. I thought that was such a great conversation. Uh, I know that we could probably go around for like 12 more hours and <laughs> marvelous turn of yours. Um, I, I'm really hoping this gets through to some people and um, I look forward to everyone hearing this and that's really it. But thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you. I love this conversation. Happy to talk anytime. And I'm grateful for the work you're doing. 